Many religions have festivals which celebrate light overcoming darkness. Such occasions are often accompanied by the lighting of candles. They seem to speak to every culture and appeal to people of all faiths and of none. They are lit on birthday cakes and to mark family anniversaries when we gather happily around a source of light. It unites us. As darkness falls on the Saturday before Easter Day, many Christians would normally light candles together. In church, one light would pass to another, spreading slowly and then more rapidly as more candles are lit. It's a way of showing how the good news of Christ's resurrection has been passed on from the first Easter by every generation until now. This year, Easter will be different for many of us, but by keeping apart, we keep others safe. But Easter isn't canceled. Indeed, we need Easter as much as ever. The discovery of the risen Christ on the first Easter day gave his followers new hope and fresh purpose, and we can all take heart from this. We know that coronavirus will not overcome us. As dark as death can be, particularly for those suffering with grief, light and life are greater. May the living flame of the Easter hope be a steady guide as we face the future. I wish everyone of all faiths and denominations a blessed Easter. Welcome to the Doxa Dialogue. My name is David Rudy. I'm the pastor at Doxa Church, and this is a podcast about living life on a mission for the glory of God. I hope you're having a wonderful fall season. I certainly am. The boys are playing soccer every Tuesday, Thursday night. They have practice, and I take the whole family out to Carolina FC, and it is just a joy to be in the crisp, clean fall air. It's gorgeous. We have that going on. Our Restore Ministry just launched this weekend, and that was an amazing start, a very powerful time. There's just so many blessings to be thankful for in my favorite season of the year, the fall. So this week, I felt led to cover a current event, and we're going to do it in a way that we haven't quite done before on this podcast, and this is one of the beauties of this platform. There are so many things going on in the world that we live in today, right? And I love preaching God's Word. I love just going through books of the Bible. It's incredible. But to have another tool in the tool belt where we can take a topical look at times at things that are happening that contain very valuable life lessons and make observations, I think that's super practical and it's very helpful for us to live our life on mission for the glory of God. So I want to make some observations about a historically incredible woman. And I know some of you out there don't care very much about Queen Elizabeth. Maybe you just haven't heard much about her. Or maybe you're just bummed because they canceled the Premier League for a week and the schedule's all messed up now. I don't usually feel much when someone I've never met dies. And maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but this one just feels different for me. 
So this episode is going to be four things we can all learn from Queen Elizabeth II. And of course, I'm going to trace each one of these back to scripture. Queen Elizabeth II was born April 21st, 1926, at the age of 25. And she was coronated Queen of England in 1952. She was what you could say born in one world and died in another. It's not easy for anyone to maintain your dignity when you're in the spotlight like she was, especially when you have that kind of power. But by God's grace, she led with grace and dignity for her entire life. And the question that I think we should all be asking is how? How did she do this? It's so rare to see someone like this. Well, here's a starter. Just listen to what she said at the age of 25 on her Christmas address to the people of England a couple of months before her coronation. I want to ask all of you, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. If you've ever listened to the Queen of England speak, it's captivating. Not only because she has this regal British accent that is seasoned with respect and dignity, but also because there's just not a lot of people who talk that way anymore. You can just feel the genuine sweetness and sincerity in her voice. Where does that come from? It comes from her faith in Jesus Christ. She has lived an astounding life, and I would make the case that there's no way you live for 96 years as a literal queen and live the kind of exemplary life that she lived with passion and humility without your soul being alive with the Holy Spirit. Now, I love history, but I don't closely follow the royal family. <laughs> there's plenty of listeners most likely who who know a lot more about the royal family than i do i know my mom does and i actually thought about interviewing my mom for this podcast because she just loves queen elizabeth ii so much but i love seeing personalities and i love it when famous people show their true colors and, and when their true colors glorify god and it just stands out i love that so i think a person like this deserves respect and i think there's a lot there for all of us to learn about through the life that she lived. So here's the first observation that I have about Queen Elizabeth II. Number one, no matter how hard you try, you can't fix everyone else's problems. Great Britain was on the victorious end of both of the world wars. And the same year that Queen Elizabeth rose to power was shortly after this time. There was another man from her kingdom, a New Zealander, his name was Edmund Hillary. He became the first man to scale the top of Mount Everest. And in some ways it was symbolic. Great Britain was on top of the world. They had won two world wars. They had a beautiful, fresh, young queen. They had defeated the evil madman Hitler who was trying to take over the world. And the British people, against all odds, kept calm and carried on. They won the war, and now they were primed to continue moving forward as the most unlikely superpower the world had ever known. But history would unfold with a very different story. 
And as good as it looked at the time to outsiders looking in, behind the scenes, in many ways, Britain had already started to decline. This wasn't very visible yet because it was a spiritual decline that had started in the homes of this great nation. When you consider the thousands of men who died in those wars, this led to a generation without fathers. And the spiritual effects of losing so many spiritual leaders of the home took a strenuous toll on the families of Great Britain over time. I've talked to a number of Brits from across the pond who shared a similar story to this effect. That next generation struggled to adapt and build back after the war's devastation. Of course, buildings were repaired and restored, but there were so many young people who took the scars and the losses of war, and they lost their faith in God. They replaced their religion and their passion and their zeal for sport or something else. I'm finishing up a series in Second Peter right now, and I have this book from David Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's called Expository Sermons from Second Peter. Every chapter is just a sermon he preached from Second Peter. 25 chapters. It's 25 sermons, 25 chapters. It's such a good book. And these sermons were preached from October 1946 all the way through March 1947. 25 weeks. That's what you call expository verse by verse preaching right there. But I've read every one of those sermons. And you could just feel the spiritual strain and the spiritual warfare going on in the country through reading those sermons even now, years later. As always, there's a myriad of factors that go into play when we're talking about the decline of an empire, right? But a lot of the churches in this time compromised on the authority of God's word. Darwinian evolutionary theory wreaked havoc. Queen Elizabeth's very own Church of England had plenty of these same false teachings infiltrate her church. And it was really a pandemic of embracing human reasoning over the authority of God's word. And you can see where it's led to today. Queen Elizabeth II, I believe, did the very best she could. As I alluded to earlier, anyone who knew her knew she had a walk with Christ. Shortly after the news of her death came to light, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, released a statement praising the queen for keeping her faith throughout her seven-decade reign. He said, Her trust in God and profound love for God was foundational in how she led her life, hour by hour, day by day. But one of the devastating consequences of two straight world wars in Europe was a generation that lost their dads and got angry at God. At the same time, the church, by and large, strayed in this stiff and stale religion where they lost their light. And as the church caved into false teacher, year by year, their society and their communities started crumbling spiritually and eventually morally. And the observation I want to make is this. It's not Queen Elizabeth's fault that there are more professing atheists or nuns, you know, no religious affiliation in Britain today than there are professing Christians. It's not her fault. It's the church's fault. 
After men like David Martin Lloyd-Jones retired from the pulpit, there was an overwhelming current of compromise in the church. And of course, this wasn't a flat-out, in-your-face, overnight abandonment of the truth. It was gradual, and it was systemic. But the watershed issue of God's word is paramount. God's revelation is inspired. It's an errand. It's our answer. As soon as that slipped away over time, the majority of the nation slipped away. England was the very first country to ever send out missionaries. They, well, I shouldn't say the very first country. Like, of course, the very first missionaries were the apostles themselves who came out of Jerusalem. But in our modern context, right? England sent out missionaries all over the known globe. They spread Christianity throughout Africa, everywhere. So you could look at Queen Elizabeth and say, what happened to this kingdom? What happened to the people under your watch? You used to be a country that sent out thousands of missionaries, and now missionaries have to come to this country. What is going on here? I would say this is just further proof that politicians can't really change anything. Because real change only comes from the heart. And only Jesus can change the heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And did Elizabeth do everything she could do? Yes. Yes, she did. You heard her at the top of this episode give an Easter address to her people in 2020. She was a mother who knew her people needed guidance, encouragement, and direction during the uncertainties of the COVID pandemic. And she was convicted enough to offer her Christian faith and the hope of something more to her diverse population that had grown so cold and so far away from her Savior. She once told her nation, forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. She was a light shining in a dark place, but none of us can fix people. Not one of us can solve all the problems. But we can do what Queen Elizabeth did and share the good news and share the light to anyone who will listen. No political leader can ever outweigh the spiritual forces that are at play. Only Jesus can change the heart. And nations move with the heart of the individuals, not according to the figurehead. Second takeaway I have for you from the life of Queen Elizabeth II is this. If you are doing something with your life, you will always have critics. Queen Elizabeth II wasn't perfect. She's human like the rest of us. But she was a daughter of the highest king, and God calls her a saint, not a sinner. And that goes for every single one of us who have come to repentance and obtained faith in Christ. So Elizabeth was flawed. She didn't always say the right thing. She made mistakes just like any of us and all of us. But this side of eternity, it is pretty hard to top her character and her commitment to serve others. So all that to say, people are going to find things to criticize no matter what you do. And I would go as far as to say, if you're not getting criticized by anyone, if everybody's just whatever with what you do, 
<laughs> you're probably not doing much good. Sadly, this is the way our world works. And I'm going to be brief with this. But after her passing, there was a disgusting chorus of chants and jeers from liberal academia all across our country with contempt for her position and what she stood for. I'll give you one tweet from the cesspool that's called Twitter by a tenured American professor. And quote, I heard the chief monarch of the thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. There's a lot of people who liked that tweet and shared that and hundreds of tweets like that. Now, time isn't going to allow me to thoroughly correct this idea that the British Empire was some corrupt, ruthless empire of colonizers. But for everyone who's under the age of 30, let me just say, the British Empire was the most benevolent, charming, cultured, and dignified empires the world has ever seen. And it will probably be the most life-giving, society-enhancing empires that ever colonized this world, if the Lord tarries. Just think about what came after the British Empire in Africa. Nothing but evil, corruption, dictators who destroy country after country, and their people live in poverty. Look at India and how much England brought into that country, the wealth, the architecture. Just go out there and Google some of these buildings that still stand today from the English colonizers. These people were amazing at how they revolutionized these nations. How were they so successful? Why did they make such a positive influence? It's because many of them who came into those countries were motivated and inspired by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not all of them, but, but you go down the list through names like David Livingston, William Carey. These are incredible men. The British Empire gave us the Magna Carta, habeas corpus, free speech. It helped end the transatlantic slave trade and ended the ritual murder of widows in India. I could go on and on and on. I mean, British literature, it's some of the greatest literature ever written. So what does the world do with that? Well, they call good evil and evil good. They want to rewrite history and spin a false narrative that these British colonizers were evil. And of course, were they always pure? No, no. Did they make mistakes? Yeah, what humans don't. But there's this lie now that this is the end of the last vestige of an evil empire. That's just disgusting. And it's really not that hard to see through that lie. Just look what came after Great Britain vacated the scene. And listen to what these people want to replace the current system with. The people who slander Queen Elizabeth want to rule the world in a much harsher way. So they will slander everything and anyone who opposes their plan and their new system. Because when you look at what Queen Elizabeth II really stood for, it actually exposes their true colors. 2 Timothy 3, 12-14 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. If you're doing something with your life, you will always have critics. Expect it, brace yourself for it, and keep your head up looking to Christ.
It's telling you that you're doing something right. Third observation from the life of Queen Elizabeth II. She led with grace and humility. Some Americans may remember what she said in response to the September 11th terrorist attack on our country. And it was an unthinkable, according to protocol event, where the queen had the star-spangled banner played at the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace. She said at the time, nothing that can be said can begin to take away the anguish and the pain of these moments. Grief is the price we pay for love. The West has become increasingly secular, even hostile to the Christian faith. And right now you have a world who's rejected God and they've created their own religious fundamentalism with, with their own tenets and their own beliefs. That's very harsh, very strict. But Queen Elizabeth always gave the truth that her faith was at the root of not only her life, but civilization itself. You had King Henry VIII, the British monarch, and ever since him, the British monarch was supposed to be the defender of faith and the supreme governor of the Church of England. But for many of those kings, it was just ceremonial, and it was just something that they had to do, and they went through the motions. For Queen Elizabeth II, it was clearly more than ceremonial to her. She demonstrated very personal Christian forgiveness. There's a story of of when she was younger, when Lord Louis Mountbatten was killed by agents of the Irish Republican Army in the summer of 1979. And the queen suffered the loss of one of the most beloved members of her family, the uncle of her husband, and the godfather of her first son. It was a truly extraordinary moment. She laid a wreath at the Memorial Garden in Dublin and dedicated that to the memory of all those who gave their lives in the cause of Irish freedoms. She had somehow found the courage within her to forgive and to rebuild and to begin anew. In her Christmas message later that year, one in which she also visited the United States, Queen Elizabeth II said, The spirit of friendship so evident in both these nations can fill us all with hope. Relationships that years ago were once so strained have through sorrow and forgiveness blossomed into long-term friendship. It is through this lens of history that we should view the conflicts of today and so give us hope for tomorrow. Is that not good stuff? That's a leader right there. The queen did what not only a defender of faith should do, but what everyone should do who claims to believe in God. She challenged people as she sought to lead by example with love for mankind, whatever one believes. And listen to how Jesus describes servant leadership in Matthew 20, 25. This is something that I know Queen Elizabeth II took to heart. Matthew 20, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And here's the last observation I have for you today. 
She wasn't afraid to offer her Christian faith as the hope of something more to a diverse population. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18 says this, Now who is there to harm you if you were zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. At the end of the first year of the new millennium, Queen Elizabeth II said, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. She pointed to the urgent need for the golden rule. And this is what she said. Many have been inspired by Jesus' simple but powerful teaching. Love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, treat others as you would like them to treat you. His great emphasis was to give spirituality a practical purpose. In her Christmas address, after the death of her beloved husband, Prince Philip, she said that the teachings of Jesus have been the bedrock of my faith. And I think that if she could give us one last address, she would probably urge us to remember that there is much more to life than what is in the headlines. So much more to life than what's on our to-do list today and what's, what's perplexing and troubling us right now in this very moment. Look ahead. Look up to Christ. Walk with Christ. Most of us won't live as long as she did, 96 years. But let's make our years count just like she did and finish well. Not very many people finish strong. I don't like talking about this. It's very sad to even say and think about this. But you don't see elderly people finishing strong as often as you wish you would. I've seen this so many times. But a person gets older, they get bitter, they get angry, they get selfish, they talk about themselves, they lash out at other people. Think about how Queen Elizabeth ended to the very end, in the public eye, giving the grace and truth of her faith, sharing a testimony after testimony after testimony of how Jesus changed her life through forgiveness. As she put it in 2002, each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view to give my best in all that day brings, and to put my trust in God. Maybe you have some observations about Queen Elizabeth as well. 
And if I said anything that stirred something in your mind and heart, I would love to hear that. And if you know someone who would be blessed by this episode, please share it as well. Now, there's plenty of angles that you could take on Queen Elizabeth. This isn't meant to be an all-encompassing biography of her life. When you look at her family and you specifically look at her sons, tragically, there has been a breakdown. It does not appear that her boys shared her faith. And again, that does say something. This isn't really the point of my episode, and I haven't followed her life closely enough to even feel like I can make a point out of that. But it's heartbreaking for a believer to see their children deny your beloved Savior. And even though parents play a huge role in teaching Christ and discipling their kids, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's an individual decision. And for kids who are born into royalty, as we discussed even with Elizabeth herself, it's not an easy thing to be humble, to serve Christ, to follow Christ. And I think there's definitely something there that we didn't really tap into. And some of you also may have watched the Netflix series, The Crown. Shows like that will rarely ever show you the depths of someone's faith. Because unless it was written and directed and acted by Christians, they simply aren't going to understand it. But as I reminisced and did a little research on her life this week, I was pointed to Christ, and I trust this was encouraging for you as well. This is one of those that I'm going to sit down with my boys and we're going to listen to this. (laughs) I think kids need to hear stuff like this too, because they certainly aren't going to be hearing very much of it in school right now. So let me know if you like a change of pace like this, and I look forward to having another episode with you all next week. You are loved.